to the Old Spiral Podcast. My name is Brian Grimm, and sitting with me is Drew Evans. Drew, you had a job interview today. How'd it go? Went pretty good. Was all right. All right. That sounded confident. Uh, <laughs> we sat down, uh, it was a couple days now, with <clears throat> Pete Broyles from Riverport, and I really enjoyed talking to him. Not only because I brew beer, but I feel like he brought a lot of interesting, just had a lot of interesting information on brewing and Riverport and all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think the cool thing about talking to anybody that has that same level of passion about what they do is just fun. I I mean, you can tell that Pete's definitely very, very passionate about brewing. He has a lot of information. He's traveled a lot to try different different beers and breweries and uh, just learn. And it was just really fun to sit down and talk about that, especially as somebody like me who knows nothing about the subject. Yeah, that was. I thought that kind of lended itself to the interview because I brew a lot. I've got beers sitting not ten feet from us, fermenting <laughs> as we speak. And but to have you here who didn't know, because most of the people listening, most of the listener out there uh, doesn't probably doesn't know too much about brewing. So we we didn't go too technical. I don't know. I thought it was also really nice to hear history about a local what's now a local institution i mean they've been open since what did he say 2008 yeah i think that's about what he said yeah so yeah it was just really cool to learn about that um it's it's also just a good thing to promote really cool institutions like you said in the valley and also event spaces i've used that event space there at riverport it's a great place to hold your event so it's it's also relatively affordable so if you if you need a spot to host any number of events go down there and check it out um you can you can look at the little facility there and get it set up and it's it's a great little spot to have an event yeah, and all you'd have to do is call down there and, and talk to Pete. Yeah. Okay, so we went down to Riverport uh, and we got some pictures for our Instagram and for our Facebook. Unfortunately, it was noon, so we couldn't really drink too much. Not that Drew drinks, and I don't drink a whole lot either. But we got to get down there so you can try some of his beers, like that sour and the oatmeal stout we were talking about. Yeah, definitely. And. Like I said, that'll just be new experiences for me because I, I've just never acquired a taste for beer, but it was probably because I was drinking gross beer. So <laughs> to check out some more quality stuff would be cool. Yeah, there's a big difference between the Coors Light, Bud Light, Bush Light, and uh, a craft beer. Right. Which you will find out exactly what those differences yeah. are in this episode. Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot more just from this process. So stick around, listen to the episode. Drew, we've got a we've got a couple announcements. One, I as you'll listen to these podcasts, if you listen from the beginning, the sound quality I hope will only improve. Uh, I'm getting better at my producing abilities. I guess that's <laughs> technically I'm a producer now, which I hadn't planned on. It just kind of hit me the other day. But I've got my little studio here, and uh, I tried some stuff with the microphones for Bob's interview, which I I thought turned out great. Bob Thorson, we interviewed him. Um, for that KMOK record. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quality you'll notice for Pete's interview will be a little bit better. And my birthday was recently, yesterday, I guess. Happy birthday. Thank you. And I got some acoustic panels from my lovely wife. So hopefully the sound will just keep improving and uh, get better from here. That's awesome. I yeah. didn't know about the panels, but that is yeah, cool. Yeah, I was going to show you. I forgot. I was excited to get started today. Sweet. Uh, and then would you like to make the second announcement on where our podcast can be found yeah so we are now available on a number of different places you can check us out on spotify um, apple podcasts podbean as well as podcast republic and we are currently working on getting on iHeartRadio. so we've got a plethora of different places where you and your friends and family can come listen to the show and i don't if you're hearing this and we did not mention your podcast uh, platform of preference a how are you listening to this <laughs> and b if uh if you've got some friends or something and they use some of those weird uh podcast platforms let us know we can get on there as well yeah definitely uh okay like we said we got some pictures of riverport uh we'll post that on our instagram and facebook you can find those at old spiral podcast um and then if you have any questions updates for us corrections 
uh, or want to get in touch with us, send us pictures. Uh, um, yeah, definitely know, send e-cards. us send us appropriate pictures of, of the valley because we want to share those too. So if you have like a particularly cool picture of like the sunset or whatever, just your everyday life, send it to us and we'll throw it on the Instagram and the Facebook and give you a plug. Heck Yes, so I'm excited. We've got uh, we're talking about brewing today. Uh, we will probably just do a little episode. Well, we'll Drew and I will talk a little bit more about brewing in the future. But we hope to get some more cool people in soon. Do some more interviews, and I'm excited for our next handful of topics. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. So listen to this interview with Pete from Riverport Brewing, uh, starting just after the announcements for what's happening around town this weekend. Anything else before I get to announcements, Drew? I don't think so. Let's do it. All right. Today is Friday, the 24th of January. (laughs) Shania Rawlis is at Vista House, which is located on the Spiral Highway, the old Spiral Highway. Good name. (laughs) Uh, It's 6.30. Uh, then we've got actually a couple of funny guys coming to town. The Road Rash Comedy Tour. Uh, they're not LC Valley locals, I don't think, but it will happen at Brock's Town Square, downtown Lewiston. That's going to be at 7 on Friday. That's the Road Rash Comedy Tour with Alex Avery and Nathan Hart. Up in Pullman, uh, I think it's Pullman, the Kenworthy Performing Arts Center, we've got the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. Also, tonight, Friday, bring your own vinyl records to Parejas Cellars. Gregory Ray hosts this BYOV at Parejas. I don't know if it's once a month, but it's fairly frequently. And this month's is 80s edition. So bring your 80s vinyl down to Parejas. Go do some dancing. It's a lot of fun. I've always wanted to make it down to one of those and always am busy. So maybe I can make (laughs) it this week. Uh... Let's see. Art Uncorked downtown Lewiston tonight at 6 o'clock has an 18 and over abstract mountains is going to be the theme for that. And then tomorrow, the 25th, the Jason Perry Trio is going to play at Hogan's. I went and watched one of their videos on YouTube. It's some good funky music. Uh, It's going to be a nice venue. uh, It's going to be a nice time just to go down and listen to some funk and enjoy some delicious drinks. Also happening on the 25th at 7 o'clock at the Mystic Cafe. They're having a jazz night. And Parejas uh, at 7, also on the 25th, is going to feature Casey Lee. He's been, I've been seeing him play around a lot more. He's been popping up on my Facebook page. And Groundwork Brewing is having live music. uh, And that's going to be, Caleb Hawkins is his name. And there's no date or time on this, Drew. It's uh, the 24th, Friday the 24th. It's Friday the 24th at Groundwork Brewing. All right. Those are the events. I got through it. I'm excited. If you are uh, having an event or an event place that wants to list your events with us, send us an email at oldspiralpodcast at gmail.com. Okay. Let's go to Pete. Very excited to have Pete Broyles in the studio. He uh, Pete is born in Lewiston. He went to Timberline High School in uh, in Pierce, and he owns and runs uh, one of my favorite breweries for sure, Riverport Brewing in Clarkston, Washington. Pete, how are you doing today? Good, good. How are you, Brian? I'm doing fine, thanks. Uh, see, I came in last night and had the oatmeal stout. Yes. That was yeah. very good beer. Uh, I know that's my father-in-law's favorite beer that you have, too. Yeah, it's, it's a, nice a lot of favorite. Beer. A lot of people love that beer, yeah. Yeah. I know nothing about beer, but I do like oatmeal, so that sounds good. <laughs> Maybe we'll go in after this and get an oatmeal stout. That'd be cool. Nice. Sweet. Cool. So thanks for being on the show today, Pete. That's it's really exciting to have you in. Um, we just kind of wanted to get a backstory on on your experiences in brewing. So how how did you get started? Did you kind of start just at your house or? Yeah. Well, it, it started. I was a 
broke college kid uh-huh. in at the University of Idaho in mm-hmm. 1984, and I had some dorm mates. They weren't dorm mates. They were lived down the hall from me in the dorm. They were chemistry majors. Uh-huh, I like chemistry majors. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they had stolen enough lab equipment from the chem lab to build a still. <laughs> and they were distilling anything they could get their hands on that had alcohol in it. Cool. One of the th- and they always bought wine when it was on sale or anything that had a high percentage of alcohol. And uh, Marketime Drug and Tri-State in Moscow sold homebrewing supplies. And so they would buy homebrewing kits gotcha. and make them and then just run to distill. I'm not as big a whiskey fan as I am a beer fan. And I, and I asked them, I said, well, why don't you make just make the beer and drink the beer? And their comments, both of them say, because it sucks. It's horrible. Mm. It tastes terrible. Of course, they didn't know a lot about sanitation. They're running everything through a still, and they didn't really care. They were just trying to make alcohol. Right. And so I thought to myself, I thought, well, there's got to be a way. I mean, if they're making these kits, you can buy all these ingredients. There's got to be a way to make Budweiser, something that's close to Budweiser, and that would be a hell of a lot cheaper than than, uh, buying it at the store. Bit of fun too, I might add. Yeah, and it was yeah, and so, <laughs> so that's what got me started. And they were right; the first couple batches I made were horrible. And oh, I, yeah. I didn't know much about sanitation either. I think that's just <laughs> you know for everybody the same. Yeah. yeah. So that was in '84, and that's one of my, my first taste of brewing. And then uh, as the years went on, you know, I got married and had kids, and I, I was I living in Oregon for a while, and I I had a friend down there that I had talked about brewing to, and. He was really intrigued, so we started. I started brewing with him, mm-hmm. and we got better and better at it. And uh, you know, and I'd drop it and pick it up through the years. You know, I was kept my equipment, but then we had a couple kids, and and so that kind of took away from my time to be able to do that kind of stuff. And then in about must have been nineteen ninety four or so, my mm-hmm. son was just uh, a year old or so. Uh, I was right after my daughter's birth, so it was 95. I, I started brewing a little more aggressively, a little more uh, sure, you consistently. Know, almost every weekend or at least a couple yeah, times a yeah, month, maybe. Cool. Yeah, and then I built a uh, – then I, I got into uh, uh, the internet. I found a forum that talked about brewing, and I really started refining things. And So when you first started, in the, in maybe even in the mid-'90s, what kind of equipment were you using to brew? When I first started, I was uh, I had the Charlie Papazian's book, The New Complete Joy of Homebrewing, which is kind of the at the time was the homebrewer's bible, and mm. that was there was no real big internet presence at the time. And I had this book, and I would buy. I was doing mostly extract beers. Oh right, partial mash. So I'd get the can of extract or the kit. I cut the label off, and on the back of the label, I would write down what I was adding to it, the different grains and the hops that I use, and my procedures and stuff. And I kept all my notes on the back of the label of the can. So I would have some sort of a, a record of what I had done. That's mm-hmm. actually a really important thing to do when you're brewing. We oh, were talking yeah. about that the other night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. no, you want to document everything you do because you never know. That, that screw-up that you did might be the best thing you ever did. You need to screw <laughs> up the same way every time now. Right. <laughs> cool. So did you have, like, any pals that were brewing also, or did you just sort of go it alone? And I know you mentioned you had that internet forum, but were there other resources? Yeah, there were. Uh, there were. I was one of the charter members of the Hell's Canyon Homebrewers Club, which is the oldest homebrew club in the state. It was the first one in the state of Idaho. Or, oh, very cool. Oh, yeah. I think later in the uh, – we'll definitely do an episode, episode on yeah, that. And yeah. Kind of, yeah. And we, I remember at the time there was uh, oh, downtown – where the Mystic Cafe is now, mm-hmm. what, there was a business in there. Something Mills, Meacham Mills. Meacham Mills was before Meacham Mills. Okay, oh, well that's before us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't remember what the name of the company was now. I'm at a loss. Anyway, uh, they were selling homebrew supplies, and there was a sign-up sheet in there for anybody that was interested in starting a homebrew club or joining a homebrew club, if there was one. Cool. And so I signed up for it, and uh, and. Uh, Jeez, I'm trying to think of the name of that place. <laughs> It'll something come brothers. It was something Morgan Brothers. Oh, nice. Morgan uh-huh. Brothers. Yeah, and they had that was before Meacham Mills, and it was just kind of a restaurant supply place and stuff. And they had homebrew supplies in there. Shortly after that, uh, Dave Graham opened up uh, Easy Brew. It was that way out in the orchards, out by the uh, Money Saver? Okay. Did they sell beer and beer supplies there? The, no, just beer supplies. Oh, all right, Easy <laughs> Brew, and it was just a homebrew supply place. Dave was, I think, an electrician at the time or something. 
and uh, he just did this he as a sideline, and I got to know him, and I bought a bunch of equipment from him, and he's the one that introduced me to all grain brewing. Mm. Oh, and, so, uh, yeah, you mentioned extract brewing and now all grain brewing, which um, definitely you make the step up to all grain brewing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but what, what, for our listeners don't know, what's kind of the basic difference between extract brewing and all grain brewing? Okay, with extract brewing, when you, when you buy malt extract, it's basically... Somebody somewhere mashed the grain, and Brian knows this. I'm looking at him like he doesn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> but somebody somewhere mashed a bunch of grain, uh -huh. and then they reduce it down to an, to an extract, to a syrup, basically. They, they remove as much water out of it as they can mm -hmm. to, put, to be able to put five gallons worth of mash into a little seven-pound can. Hmm. And then you basically rehydrate that, and then you could add specialty grains to it. You got to add your hops. Some of the kits are already hopped extract, which that's not not something. I mean, you still want to add hops to it because sure. when you're going to boil, and the best thing to do is, I mean, you can literally you can make a kit without ever boiling it at all. Hmm. Just get hot water. You can dissolve all the stuff in there, stir it up, and pitch yeast on it. It'll make beer. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, but. If you want to make better beer, you you, you boil it mm. and you add your own hops and you do. It. And so now, when you move on to all grain brewing, you have the problem with extract is you don't have any control over what goes into that or what process they use or what temperature they mash it at. That's right. And when you're when you're doing it, when you're starting out with grain with malted barley and you're cracking it yourself and you're putting it in your mash tun, you control the mash temperature, which has a big bearing on the flavor of the beer, the alcohol content, the sweetness of the beer, everything. And when you just have so much more control over it that way, yeah. So this guy Dave had the the uh, beer supply store. Mm -hmm. Is that right? So what kind of equipment were you buying? Was it uh, like a cooler mash tun and and stuff like that? Yeah, my first mash tun was one that I made out of a laundry tub that I'd stuck inside of a bigger laundry tub, and I spray foam insulation in there. <laughs> and I put a drain in the bottom of it. I built my first mash tun that I used. Um, after, and I used it for years, and then later on I decided to use go the cooler route, and it was so much better because, I mean, a cooler is, if you put oh, it hot holds stuff, the heat. oh yeah, it holds the heat so much better than, yeah. than I did. And then a mash tun real quick, it's it's basically, a, a we could say a cooler for now, or a container with mm -hmm. a false bottom that's perforated, and what you do is you soak your grains, you get a lot of the sugar out of them, and then the liquid that you separate the liquid from the grain... Uh, that's called wort at that point, and then then you that would go into the be boiled and hop additions, and then yes. after that's cooled back down, you pitch your yeast, and then you got beer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep, a little exactly. be brewing for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect for us. Yeah. <laughs> cool. cool. So Brian tells me that uh, you went and checked out some breweries in Europe. Uh, did any of that kind of influence the way that you brew beer now, or did you get any ideas from that? Yeah, uh, and, and to back up a little bit from that, every time my family took a vacation anywhere mm -hmm. since I started brewing, I would plan my vacations around towns that had breweries in them. <laughs> so what were some of the favorite breweries just on any of those vacations then that you've been to? Uh, one of the most... Uh, one of the biggest ones I used to go to all the time was the Rogue Brewery. Oh, in I've been Oregon. there. It's yeah. awesome. It's a cool place. And I, and John Mayer was kind of a hero of mine, the guy that was the head brewer there. He, he wasn't the Not owner. the guitar player? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah not, not the guitar, guitar player. Yeah. Uh, no, he was... Uh, Rogue was one of one of my early ones. I went through a band and went to Deschutes before there were dozens of breweries in band. It was Deschutes was the only one there. Yeah, well, actually, I think... Real quick, we should mention that brewing in, in America didn't really kick off. Like, okay, I guess they had loggers and big German companies that had been around since pre-Prohibition. Mm -hmm. uh, but craft brewing didn't really kick off in America till the mid-'80s. I That's mean, there were some correct. people doing it. Yeah, but. there were a few of them, and there was some big ones. In Hood River, uh, Full Sail was there. Right. Uh, they were – in fact, they were – one of the one of the first beers that I tasted after I started homebrewing, and I thought, "Wow, I must be doing something right." Because all this time I thought I was doing something wrong because my beer was really bitter. And I thought, well, it's it's getting better, but there was nothing really to compare it to. You know, mm -hmm. I'm comparing it to Budweiser and the, the European beers that I had, the maltier beers, and and I made a pale ale one time, and I thought, "Well, I've ruined that." It's too. And then I had full sail pale ale. I was on a trip in Montana, and there was a restaurant that had full sail pale ale on tap. And it was, I thought, well, that tastes kind of like my homebrew. I must hmm. be doing something right. 
So that's always a good feeling. The first IPA I ever drank, I made. It, it was a recipe. It was uh, Pale Alea, India Pale Ale out of Charlie Papazian's book. And I thought, oh, my God, that thing is just too much hops. <laughs> and now, by comparison, it's mild. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, what is that, the Voodoo Ranger? They've got yeah, that special yeah, one. Yeah, it's like yeah, 80 yeah, or something yeah. IBUs. That's... So, yeah, I was a, a, you know, we travel around and look at breweries all the time. And, and I was always looking for ideas on how to do things better. When we went to Europe, we went to... Uh, Germany specifically for Oktoberfest. Cool. Oh, that's a dream of mine. For yeah, sure. it was it was fun. We, um, I uh, breweries, and this has only been five six years ago. Mm-hmm. Breweries in Germany are kind of a different sort of thing. It's kind of like I mean, every region has their own kind of beer, mm. and yeah, there's three or four breweries making beer there, but they're all making the same kind of beer mm. in that region. Then you go to a different region, and the beers are different. But there's three or four breweries, and they're all making the same kind of beer. And breweries, as a destination like we have here, didn't exist at the time, or not that I stumbled on. And and in northern Germany, which we didn't spend much time up that direction, uh, it was starting to come on. Stone was building their Berlin brewery at the time. Uh, And there was it's almost impossible to find an IPA in Germany. (laughs) The only pale ale I had that, that you could be close to an IPA was in a, of all things, it was in Cologne, Germany, and it was a Saturday, and I wanted to find a bar or a pub that had a football game on. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was just the beginning of football season, and uh, I ended up finding this Irish pub, and I, well, they probably got TVs in there. Yeah. So I went in this Irish pub, and the Rugby World Cup was going on, and they had like 30 TVs in there. And all 30 of them were tuned to the same game, <laughs> the Rugby World Cup. And yeah. Italy was playing Canada, I think. And so any of the English people and the Irish people that were in there were all rooting for Canada. Mm-hmm. And all the European, all the, all the Italians and the, and the Germans and the French that were in there, they were all written. It was, just, it was, it was Chaos, an incredible huh? experience. <laughs> it was really, really fun. Yeah. <laughs> but they had, but they had a good variety of beers and they had, and they had Jameson whiskey. So it was, oh, it was a good afternoon. It was That fun. sounds like a good <laughs> yeah, afternoon. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, you know, um, I was telling Drew this last night, we were talking to, I was giving him a little information on beer. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to know how IPAs, I mean, they were only made to transport beer over long periods of time because it has antimicrobial properties, mm-hmm. the hops do. And, and it's not really a traditional beer style. It's not really right. a – I mean, you'd be surprised here, but it's not really a flavor you'd aspire to go towards. You know yeah, what I mean? it's – it was – you're right. It was and made – I like a good IPA. Yeah, a, a, a well done one. There's – some that are definitely overdone, mm-hmm. and, and and some people that's all they drink is IPAs, and the hoppier the better. And I, I'm not one of those people. I, I I like to appreciate all of the aspects of a beer. I like the malt flavor, and I like the 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 hop flavor and the yeast flavor, and you know everything is everything lends something to a beer. And when you just overpower it with hops, and that's all you get, it's kind of one dimensional. Yeah. So how did that come about? Where that became like sort of a hipstery. You know, really popular thing to to do the IPAs or to, for people to brew. Those. I I don't know where I liken it to the craze for hot stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when you you know everybody's like, well, I can eat this. You know, this sauce is the hottest. You know, it's got ghost peppers. In yeah, it. <laughs> it's like the more the better. You okay, know? and I think that's kind of where that came from. IPAs are definitely they they have their place and they are good. And I've had some yeah. really excellent IPAs. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, not too long ago, there was this escalation of how many IBUs can you get in your beer? How many IBUs, international bittering units, that's mm-hmm. a measure of how many hops. Yeah, the higher, hops, the more yeah. bitter. Yeah, and, hmm. and then I've read in different articles and stuff that the human tongue can only detect up to about 100 IBUs. And beyond that, you, it's, you, you, yeah, you don't have the any threshold. way of, right. th- there's a threshold. And, and uh and these people are, you know, like, well, our beer's got 90 IBUs. Well, ours has got 100. Well, ours has got 120. Well, ours has got 130. Well, why are you wasting all those hops? <laughs> <laughs> and what hops are really best for, I mean, hops are in almost all types of beer, mm-hmm. just not in the amount. And hops really do add a good aroma, a good flavor, and help with head retention. 
Yeah. So. And, and as you said, originally they were used as an anti-microbial. Uh, uh, they they yeah. would help to preserve the beer. And yeah, they, they tried, were shipping the beer. Across. Yeah, they well, were the shipping India the trading yeah, company, yeah, India yeah. Pale. Well, yeah, the, uh, the British troops, the India Pale Ale, the British brewers were brewing for the troops when they occupied India. Mm. To get beer from England to India, you got to go around the Cape of Africa. And that's a long sea voyage. Sure. And the beer would get over there to them, and they'd say, I don't know, it was all bad by the time. Because you're in the hot sun, it's sloshing yeah. around in a wooden barrel on the deck of a ship. And they'd get down there, and they'd no, it's it went bad. All right, well, try more hops. And they, and they also boosted the alcohol content. Oh, that was Because alcohol too, yeah. also is a deterrent to yeah, beer going bad. <laughs> Spoilage. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for that backstory. That was really interesting. Um, just to bring it back to Riverport, like what what year did you guys get started doing oh, that full time? And what did you do before you worked at Riverport? Yeah. Before I worked at Riverport, okay, here's uh, – I left college and didn't know what I was going to do. And I moved mm. to Seattle and I grew up growing <laughs> yeah. up in Pierce. Sounds familiar to me. Growing up in Pierce, Idaho, I wanted to do anything besides work in the timber industry. Yeah. Because it was so depressed up there. And I thought, well, I'm going to do anything but work in the timber industry. I end up in Enumclaw, Washington. And the best paying job I can find is working for a warehouser in a sawmill. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am in the timber industry again. That's so why I did that for two or three years. And then warehouser was downsizing. They were remodeling the mill. They were going to change things. And they were going to get rid of some people. So I came to Lewiston, where my mom and dad lived. And I went to LCSC and trained as a log scaler. Again, in the timber industry. Right. Yeah. So so for about 15 years, I was a log scaler. And that's measuring, you know, lengths and diameters of logs and figuring out how many defects are in there, how many board feet are in a mm -hmm. logs, basically. Sure. And and grading the logs and figuring out what they're worth. That's my grandpa and his brothers were did similar jobs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you know what that is. And then from there, my dad and I started a software company. We did uh, medical billing software. And I did that through the first five years of Riverport Brewing. I was mm. still doing that. So I had I worked two jobs. When you anybody out there thinking about starting a brewery, plan on working your butt off and get <laughs> the for a while. Yeah. So yeah, so we started in uh we actually officially opened in November of two thousand eight. Uh my original partner, Marv Eveland, who was a brewer over at Barley Hoppers and happened to have been my fourth grade teacher oh, oh wow <laughs> was, i was in, in pierce pierce idaho his first job when he got out of college as an educator was in pierce idaho he was teaching fourth grade and i met him there and we got we stayed in contact through the years and he was a home brewer and i was a home brewer and we kind of brewed together every once in a while and we had talked a lot about opening a brewery and mm -hmm. so in 2008 we finally found this equipment that we bought it was down in uh Sandy, Oregon. It was a brewery that was going under. Hmm. So we bought it, everything. Bought all the equipment. We bought the light fixtures. We bought the sink. We bought the forklift, the kegs. Everybody, it was like we went out there to look at it. And we said, all right, yeah, well, when we agreed to terms on it, we said we want everything. Hmm. In fact, we want the pipes out of the, you know, when you take them out of the oh, wow. ceiling, we want all the pipes. So do you have to find a similar sized building then to, to yeah, put those Yeah, we, we actually had the equipment before we had a building. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were fortunate enough that we met somebody. We 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 had a pretty good idea where we wanted to be, uh -huh. and we met a guy who had an empty building down here in the port area, not far from where we are now, and he let us store it there. For, okay. For uh, well, we bought the equipment in May of '08, and then started the renovation on the building and installing the equipment. And we, like I said, we officially opened in November of '08. Mm -hmm. So, and you mentioned that your partner brewed. At or not at Riverport um, initially, but at Barley Hoppers. Mm -hmm. Was that kind of your first time brewing on equipment that scale? Yes. Yeah, I had not, I had gone down to help Marv out a few times. Uh -huh. But I didn't. I, and, and the thing is, with our system was is completely different than Barley Hoppers was. Gotcha. Marv had brewed at Barley Hoppers for a long time, but he didn't have any idea how to run this new one. And it didn't come with a manual. It didn't come with <laughs> anything to tell you how to yeah. do it. And I just had to get in the mindset of it's just making beer on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I approached it. And so to this day, my brewer that I have hired now, John Limbert, and I, neither one of us have written down everything. We just know how to do it. 
Right. We need to at some point write down an SOP so that if something happened to both of us, somebody could walk in and, and do it. I mean, a, a brewer could do it. Sure. Brian could figure it out. Mm-hmm. He'd screw up a lot in the that's beginning like I did. absolutely true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. What's the... Oh, that's a great one. Uh, what's the biggest batch of beer that you had to flush? We actually, knock on wood, haven't had to flush anything from oh, the brewery good. yet. Yeah. Good. We've made some pretty big mistakes, and we just kind of figured out a way to. One of my, one of the big ones was I made a, a batch of Cedar Rock Pale Ale, which is an English style pale. Oh ale. yeah, one of my favorites. It's and it's a good. It's just a middle of the road English style pale ale. And I didn't do it. I won't say who did, but somebody put the wrong <laughs> kind of yeast in there. Oh, and I was also telling Drew that yeast surprisingly yeah. is one of the biggest flavor. Yeah, profiles of the beer. Yeah, and the and the yeast that he threw in there was a Hefeweizen yeast. That is a very unique <laughs> yeast. Yes, it's the Weinstein <laughs> strain, and it has oh, a goodness. banana clove kind of flavor it to it. It's just really unique. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, great! We've ruined this entire batch of beer. We're gonna have to dump it. And then I did start doing some research. Turns out it was made in the Bavarian forest of Germany. They made it. They called it Dampf beer. Ah. And it was it was breweries down there in that region. It was really poor. They would borrow uh, wheat was far too. Uh, it was worth way more than the barley was hmm. because they could make bread out of it and they could do other things. They needed it for other things, so they the, they would use barley, and then they would use the German hops, whatever was available, and then they would just borrow yeast from the neighboring breweries. Well, the neighboring breweries down there were making wheat beer in the in the more affluent parts yeah, of the wisely. country. So they were making Weizens, and they so they borrow yeast from them, and they, the yeast that they could get was Hefeweizen yeast. Hmm. So they'd put it on their barley-based beer, and that's basically what we made. And one of the things I joked about, one of the taglines I wanted to use was, restoring... Old world styles, one screw up at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so was it palatable at all? Or yeah, it... it actually was, and people really liked it. And yeah, cool, we, we made it the next year. We uh, we haven't brought it back for a long time. That's We've got limited tap space. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was just one of those things that we thought, uh, well, well, we'll do it again. We called it BFD, <laughs> Bavarian Forest Donf Beer. Okay, <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Cool. Awesome. Um so was was there a lot of other breweries out there at that time in this area? I mean, you mentioned Barley's, but were there other microbrew outfits around here? No, it was uh, well. We uh, when when we opened our brewery, I think we were number one hundred thirty ish in the state of Washington, mm-hmm. and there's about five hundred now. Yeah, wow. wow. Yeah, there were in Spokane, uh, Northern Lights was there, which has now become No Lie, mm. and there was. I think the steam plant was there, and there was one other. And there's 25 breweries in Spokane now. There hmm. was nothing in Pullman. There's nothing in Moscow. Uh, in fact, Tom Handy from uh, Paradise Creek, he came down and hung out with us for a long time and watched what we did because he had the space to do it. And, and the winery that was in his basement, I can't remember who that was, still in existence up there, but they moved on to somewhere else. Uh, anyway, they were moving out, and he had this space, and he thought, well, maybe I'll put a brewery in. So he came down and hung out with us. And so there was, he started up a couple years after we did, I think. Cool. Yeah, um, and he just expanded into a new building up there, yeah, too. Yeah, he's got, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a job now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I went and saw all that equipment, and yeah, wow, it's impressive. Yeah. Cool. So what was the first... Uh, well, maybe you had more than one, but what was the first uh, beer that Riverport was putting out? The first beer that we brewed was our Blonde, which we're still making. Uh, we op- The day we opened, we had three beers on tap. Oh, okay. We had the Blonde, we had the Stout, and we had the IPA, mm. the Seven Devils IPA, which has evolved. The IPA is the only one that's really changed a lot, mm-hmm. and that's because of... The hop utilization for that big scale system versus my homebrew system is much higher. Okay. So you can't just scale your hops up. Um, the geometry of the kettle, the uh, the way that the the 
heating coil that goes down through there, you get a lot more extraction of the hop oils in that system than I do just with a bottom burner on a on a boil kettle. Yeah, I gotcha. So that was the first batch that I didn't think was drinkable, but we sold it all. <laughs> <laughs> People like that. <laughs> and then shortly after that, we added the River at Red, and then we added the Pale Hill, and then we added the Bach. Uh, and I just kind of, and then we, the, the original intent was we'd have four beers year round, and then we'd have two that we would have seasonals. Sure. The first time I took the Bach off tap because I just made it as a seasonal, I had a mutiny on my hands. Like, <laughs> you can't take that away. So then we expanded our tap box to the 11 that it is right now. We're in the process right now of expanding it again to 16. So we're going to have more beers on tap. But we expanded it to 11. And then those five were meant to be seasonals. And two of those five are now permanent because uh-huh. people won't let me take them away. <laughs> so I've got three that I kind of rotate. Right okay. Now, so nice, cool. So, if you had to guess, how many do you think you've had like signature beers at Riverport over the years? Oh well, we've probably brewed around twenty-five different beers. Okay. Uh, the six that have always been on are are blonde or red or pale, Bach IPA and Stout. Those ones have been on the longest. Cool. The red is really what I would consider our signature beer. That's the one that we, I just did our year-end totals for production reports the other day. We did 41 seven-barrel batches of River at Red. It's a lot of beer. The next closest one was 18 batches. Yeah, one barrel is, uh, it's 31 gallons. 31 right? gallons. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> and so. then what, What uh, you mentioned you had some seasonals. Like what, what were some of the seasonals that you've had over the years? Oh, we always, every year we do, uh, we, we try to do, like right now we have a porter on. That's kind of a winter beer. I also do a spiced winter ale that comes on. We had it on for a while. I've got some left. When we expand to 16 taps, we'll put it back on. Mm-hmm. One of our most popular seasonals is our, uh, in May, we do uh, the 5-5 five, five pepper beer, which is a beer that's infused with jalapenos and serranos. Mm. Not necessarily my cup of tea. It's interesting. and it, It's definitely a popular beer. Yeah, though. it's a popular beer, and I actually won a medal with that one huh. in, at the Washington Brewers Festival. So uh, it's been a good beer for us, but it's it's. I, I, I'm not real big on flavored beers. I, I, like, right. I like beer-flavored beers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> beer-flavored beer. Uh, uh, <coughs> Drew was asking, Drew was asking, um, if you could purchase Riverport beer anywhere than Riverport, and I know you guys supply some restaurants, what what restaurants around town do you supply? Uh, well, we go through a distributor on both the Idaho side and the Washington side, so I kind of lose track of, you know, when we first started, I was d- doing all the distribution myself, so right. I knew exactly where it was. Now I kind of have lost touch with where all it is. I know that Roosters always has it on. Yeah. Uh, Fazari's always has it on. Uh, oh, where was I? I just saw it. Anyway, it's around. Oh, yeah. There's it's there's a, most of the bars in Lewiston, most of the beer bars and stuff have it. Um, Shooters has it on at least one tap on all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's rookies. Almost every bar in town has had it on at one time or another. Oh, Hogan's. A lot of them are, Hogan's, Hogan's has it. Has it. Yeah. yeah, Hogan's always has something. And they always, when I do the pepper beer, they always bug me for a pepper beer. Okay? <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. and, uh, and I know you can fill up growlers, and I've actually rented kegs from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could rent the full or the half barrel kegs or the little five gallon ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, But you just got this uh, crowler yes. machine. And what is that exactly? Okay, a crowler is kind of like a growler, which is a half gallon of beer that you put in a glass jug and put a lid on it, or some of them are metal jugs. Uh, the crowler is an aluminum can, just like you would buy in the store, but it's 32 ounces. All right. And it's an empty can that we fill, just like we fill a growler. And then you put a lid on top, and we got a seamer that, that crimps the seam on the top. So you've mm. got a can of beer to go with you. So, like, if you're – they're really good for, like, people that want to go take beer on their boat or oh, yeah. hike in or something like that because you don't have the glass afterwards mm-hmm. to cool. deal with. So, so is that a pop top or a twist off? No, it's a pop top. It's just like oh. a just like a soda can, but it's thirty two ounces. Very it's, cool. Yeah, hmm. that's pretty neat. Um, yeah, and then I know that Brian plays a lot of music at your at your space there, and this Saturday, <clears throat> this Saturday <laughs> apparently, he's and playing. Henry Funk's playing tomorrow, right? Yes, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I know you guys have music there, but um, you kind of have an event space as well on site there? Yeah, we have, uh, well, in the, in the summertime, we have uh, an outdoor seating area, a deck, and then I built, last year, I built a stage out of a 57 GMC three-ton Oh, yeah, it's cool. Oh, yeah. cool. And it's kind of a cool uh, stage. We have, we've had a lot of music out there. This time of year, where we're kind of confined to being inside, we prefer acts like Brian or Henry or something where yeah. you don't have the drums and the loud guitars, and you know you can. It's it's that space can it's real angular. It can get really loud in there. Yeah, right. and I hate to throw off the flow, but by this Saturday, I meant last Saturday, and Henry Funk played last Friday because this will come out the weekend <laughs> after. Still getting used to it. Still getting used to it. Uh, but one of the cool things you do is—is is it every Wednesday you've got the band jam? No, it's the uh, first first Wednesday, the first Wednesday of the month, and actually, I think it's the closest the Wednesday that's closest to the eleventh. Oh, that's right, something weird like that. Yeah, because I think, I, I think yeah. Raleigh's birthday was the eleventh, and they always wanted to. Do it as close to, to the eleventh. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, Raleigh's the guy that Raleigh Hallen. He's a cool guy. He's he's, a, the, he's the music guru. Yes, yeah. he's the wizard of sound. They call mm-hmm. him, and he can make that back room. We, and we do the band jam outside in the summer. We do it inside in the wintertime when it's cooler. And that back room is massive, and Raleigh can tame it really well with the way he sets the sound up. He does yeah. a great job, and he he and uh, Bill Wilcox comes in and sets up the drums, and and uh, Leroy, I don't even know Leroy's real last Blue. name. I don't know Leroy his real Blues. Last Blue name. Blues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how I know. <laughs> He's he uh, plays harmonica, but he comes in and helps Raleigh and Bill get everything set up, and they do a great job. And then the band jam itself is just. All local musicians, and I shouldn't even say local. It's any musician that wants to come. Wants to come, and they just they say just bring your instrument and please have it tuned. And then you got to have at least a singer, a drummer, and a guitar player. And then you can be you can and, and bands just form right there. It's like, hey, do you know this? Do you know that? And they'll get together and play. And it's just. Honest to God, some of the best music you'll hear in the valley. It's, yeah, that's awesome. And it's all impromptu. Yeah. So, and you don't just do music. What all? What other kind of events do you hold there? We do a lot of fundraisers. Uh, one of the things we got coming up uh, is uh, Will Thompson does a comic book and record swap. Oh, nice! And he just came in and gave me the date. I think it's in April. Okay. Yeah, it's it's coming up. He, he just reserved the date. But it's really cool. It's like a lot of uh, uh, memorabilia type stuff, movie mm-hmm. movie posters, mm-hmm. music posters, things like that. Nice. Lots of vinyl records and comic books and things like that. Yeah. Uh, we do uh, every fall, we do uh, a chili cook-off for the Dance Dynamics group that's over based out of Lewiston. Yeah, my niece is in that group. Yeah, yeah they, they do their big fundraiser, their one big annual fundraiser down there every year, and that's the chili cook-off, and it's always a big, big day. We do a lot of fundraisers in the back, but we have birthday parties. We've had a couple weddings back there. We've had baby showers. We uh, just, you name it. Well, if someone who's listening wanted to hold an event there, generally how much is it and how do you set that up? The room rents for $150 and you come, uh, what we're going to give you is an empty room back there. And I don't even know the square footage I should, but it. It's big. It's good it's size. Big. Yeah, it's good size. Good size. Drew, you had an event there. Yeah, I did. We had a uh, a fundraiser for a research trip to Ecuador. Uh, myself and some other students, and we did a like a Bob Ross painting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and I think yeah. there were probably fifty to seventy five people there at least. Yeah, yeah. And we had plenty of room for stuff to put out food and yeah. like a spot to take pictures. I mean, it's a great little space. Yeah, and we keep it pretty busy too. And you yeah. can call down the brewery and just. Uh, Ask if if your date's available, and you know, and we'll give you all the details. You can come down and look at it. We've got, like I said, we'll give you the empty room, and we give you, I don't know, we got eight or ten tables and sixty or seventy chairs, and we've done class reunions back there, though we've done uh, where they don't even put tables out because everybody's going to stand up, kind of mm-hmm. as a mixer situation, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun, and it, it's got a lot of a lot of different possibilities for events down there. Yeah. So. You mentioned that you'd taught a brewing class. Was that for people that were just kind of learning how? And, and or do you think you're going to do that again someday? Yeah, you know, I, I started, uh, I got approached by uh, the continuing education people at LCSC about doing it. And this was still when I was at home. Uh, and I decided to go ahead and do the, the homebrewing class. And, and uh, it was a great way to feed our homebrew club. 
you know, with, with fresh blood, with new brewers, you know, people that are excited about it. Because, you know, like any club over time, any any hobby over time, it kind of loses its luster a little bit. And, and when I'd, I'd teach a class, five or six people would take it, and they'd be all excited about brewing. And that would kind of bring new life into the club and, and into the brewers that were kind of slowing down, you know. And, yeah. And so we did that for quite a while. And I taught it out of my garage and, and it was it was a lot of fun and then I, when I started the brewery I was just so busy with of course things. yeah and so we uh, we've done it a couple of times down at the brewery and and there's been some requests to do it again we have the homebrew supplies there so it just makes sense to to offer a class and it'll probably be in the late spring when we do it yeah we, it's a good time yeah, to do it yeah weather's good yep weather's good we can be in and out you know and and it, it, it's Tough to do if you got to be indoors all the time, and it's if it's too hot, it's hard to. Especially if we're doing, you know, if somebody's just starting out and they don't have a way to control their fermentation temperature and stuff like that. Some of the some of the beer goes. I, I for the longest time couldn't figure out why my beer in the summertime tasted so wild. Yeah, <laughs> time and temperature. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> then, very important. And then I started brewing. reading, and I oh okay, well that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, um, just to bring it back kind of to brewing in general around the area, do you see brewing growing around the Lewis Clark Valley? Yeah, you know, like I just said, it kind of ebbs and flows. Uh, I, I, as selling homebrew equipment, we I'm seeing a lot more. Uh, and at Christmas time, we sold a lot of uh, people were coming in, their husband, you know, loves beer, likes, has expressed an interest in brewing, so they would come in and buy a homebrew kit. Gotcha. And uh, there's a there's a lot of brewers around that don't belong to clubs, you know, that I see all the time that come in there and right. buy buy ingredients from me. So yeah, it, it we're I I think it's pretty solid. Uh, it's I think it's been stronger at times, but it, mm-hmm. like I said, it ebbs and flows. And I think that you know, there's two clubs in the valley now. There's the uh, Hell's Canyon Homebrewers and the Wizards of Ale Homebrew Club, and they both hold regular meetings and and they. Both of them usually meet at the brewery, right? At different times. Uh, and uh, Hell's Canyon Homebrew Club they hold the Oktoberfest, yes, in Pioneer Park, which I've I've been a part of the last couple of years, and that is a blast. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. And yeah. we had a really good turnout last year, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's uh, that's fun because you get it, it as a homebrewer, you don't really get an opportunity to share with the masses, right? But at that event, it's real exciting as a homebrewer to. That's my IPA up there, or that's my pale ale, or my stout, or whatever, and, and it's it's kind of cool to to see what other guys are doing. And some of it's not so cool. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, it can be a little hit or miss, but but yeah. generally it's just it's fun. It's a fun environment. Yeah, it's a fun There's event. a you got a yeah. polka band out there, and then really yeah. cool steins, and they have a stein yeah. competition, yeah. and then. Uh, is it Volkswagen or just European all, all cars? German cars? All German cars. Yeah, yeah. German yeah they have cars. a little car show out there. Yeah. And there's some pretty yeah, sweet cars they, uh, too. Yep. yep. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't know anything about that. That's cool. I have to yeah. check that out. Well, Drew, I think you had a couple questions uh, as someone who doesn't brew. Yeah, uh, maybe you wanted to ask. This would be a good time to ask those. Sure. Um, so, I mean, like, how how do you even define a microbrew? Like, what what does that mean? Microbrewery is a term that was used to describe small breweries. As opposed to macro breweries, the big three, Budweiser, Miller, and Coors. Mm-hmm. Um, a more accurate term or more, uh, probably more accepted term now is a craft beer. Mm-hmm. Craft beer in the, what are they, the Brewers Association calls us, defines us as craft beer. You know, when they're breaking down their numbers between the big guys and us. You got to be under so many barrels. Yeah, it's it has to do with the amount of beer you make every year. Yeah, right? hmm. yeah, and you know Budweiser can make stuff that tastes kind of like what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they choose not to. I don't know why, but <laughs> every once in a while they'll put out a special beer that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but they, they even if they do, they can't. They're not defined as a craft beer or no. a microbrewery because they're Budweiser and they're. Huge. Dominating the world, <laughs> right. right? But collectively, you know, the craft breweries in the in the United States, eh, there's around five thousand of them now, I think, or oh, somewhere wow. around there. Maybe more than that. I, I just saw some numbers on it the other day too. But we only make up a very small percentage. We're under double digits, like eight percent of the total beer sales in, mm. the, in the United States, something like that. It's, it's really small. That being said. 
one percentage point represents a lot of money to Budweiser. I mean, if we take one percent right. away from them, it's huge hmm. to them. Yeah. Now us, we got to divvy it up among five thousand breweries. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we covered what an IPA is, but I think you were asking me last night, like, what's the difference between a stout and a pale ale? Well, yeah, and I mean, like there's all these different kinds. Like, I, I I know sort of the lexicon of of beer and the different vernaculars, but I just never really drank it very much. But I just know there's all these different kinds. Is there one that would maybe be? Uh, the best to start out with if you were going to brew from home for the first time. Or at least go out and try new beers or something. Yeah, even that, too. Yeah, well, as a as a beginning brewer, I have always thought that the most forgiving style is probably stout. It is. Because it's got a lot of roasted barley in there, and that's the predominant flavor. It's going to mask a lot of other mm. potential off flavors. The hardest beers to make, believe it or not, are like... Bud Light and Coors Light. Yeah. Mm. Any mistake you make in those is going to show up yeah. real clear. The, the the lighter the beer, the harder it is to, to get. And that's, I tell people, and, and, and I believe this, it's not hard to make a good beer. It's hard to do it again. Mm. It's hard to do the same good beer over and over and over. And that's what we were talking about. Notes, Brian and I were talking about earlier. You always take notes. Right. And... When when I hired John to be the brewer two and a half years ago or whatever it was, I told him, I said, this is how we do it. I showed him how we do it. And I said, I know. He, he looked at me and he, I said, I know. It's might not be the way you did it up at, because he brewed for a while up at Paradise Creek. It might not be the way that you guys did it up there. You might have some better ideas. But this is the way, part of what makes my beer taste the way it does is the procedures that I use to get it there. Right. Yeah. So we're going to do it the same way. Mm-hmm. And then we can introduce small changes here and there if you see a way for us to be more efficient. Yeah. More. And so, and that's that's super, super hard to do is to, to be consistent. Yeah. Okay, cool. So as far as beer styles go, yeah, there are, uh, how many styles are there, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Let me pull out my <laughs> yeah. Yeah, style guide. <laughs> yeah, you showed me that app and my head just started spinning. I yeah, no, no idea. It can get overwhelming. The two no basic, idea. I see on your list there, you got you know ale and lager listed. Ale and lager are two different major categories. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. under ale falls pale ale and IPA and stouts. And ale describes the yeast that's used. And it, ale is a... Bottom fermenting, a top fermenting yeast, and right. a lager is a bottom fermenting yeast. And usually and at a cooler temperature. Cooler temperature, yeah. Lager, lager yeasts are generally at least 10 to 15 degrees cooler. Yeah. Uh, and then what lager means is to store in the cold. Yes. And so yeah. after the main fermentation, usually you let them sit for like three months at minimum yeah. almost yeah. in, a, in a, like 50 degrees. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 45, 50. That's why you don't see a lot of lagers from small breweries like mine because it's valuable yeah. tank space. Yeah, it ties up your equipment. Yeah, and we got six weeks sitting on a lager, and we do make one. Uh, yeah. But uh, the Dirty Larry which is a honey pilsner and uh it takes it ties up tanks for six weeks where we could push two batches of one of our ales through yeah so a pilsner is also a lager yes okay because yeah I, I, like i mentioned before i spent some time uh doing research in south america and everybody drinks pilsner yeah pilsner so, is, is a style pilsner is also a kind of malt mm-hmm. um and you can make an ale with pilsner malt uh-huh. um but Generally, in layman's terms, generally speaking, when somebody refers to a beer as a pilsner, it's a lager. Okay. Generally. Cool. Yeah. And then you've got a really cool way that you do your sour beers. So what makes a sour beer sour? And then let, let, let I want to hear again how you do the, you age them in the barrels. And- yeah, we uh, started doing sour beers, oh, geez, it's been six or seven years ago. And we got some barrels from the winery next door. Uh, from Basalt Cellars. Yeah. And uh, I want to do some, try some wood-aged beers. And uh, so we brew like our, our, our red or our blonde. We've done both. Uh, and then on the day that we brew it, we put it into a barrel. Originally, we brewed it and fermented it and everything in the stainless. And then we moved it to a wooden barrel and inoculated it with these bugs, if you will. Uh, wild Lactobacillus. Yeast. Yeah, Lactobacillus, Pediococcus, Britannomyces, and uh, I don't even remember. Yeah, Lactopedio. And... That's enough Latin for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they're, and, the, and those are the things that 
that make a sour beer sour. So we inoculate the barrels with that, and then they just sit under the office. They don't even go into a cooler or anything. They just we let the barrels breathe as they as they warm up. They they expand and it kind of sucks the beer into the wood, and then as they cool off a little bit, then it pushes it back out. So it just kind of is breathing all the time, hmm. if you will. And they'll sit under the office for a minimum of a year. Oh wow! At room temperature, and then we kick it off from there. Um, all now, I said the initial batch we fermented in stainless, and then moved it to the wood. Now we do all the fermentation; everything is done in the wood, so it's dumped right into the wood barrels. This is mimicking what they do in Belgium. Uh, the sour style is uh, lambic, is what it's called, and uh, in Belgium they just let the wild yeast that's in the air settle in on the beer as it's cooling and it's usually in the attic of the brewery they have a thing called a cool ship which is a really shallow like the whole roof or the ceiling above the ceiling so to be the floor in the attic is lined with a cool ship gotcha they pump the beer up there and then they open up the windows in the attic to let the cool night air come through to cool it off well hmm. in that cool night air are all these weird yeasts that just blow in hmm now, we've refined that and figured out. I've talked to the brewer at uh, Cantillon in uh, Brussels when we were over in Europe. And uh, they only brew at certain times of the year because they know when that yeast is active. And they, hmm. they can't brew in the heat. Oh. And they, can't, they can only brew like from November to March or something like that. And they don't brew anymore. Hmm. Because the yeast that they want isn't present and the yeast that they don't want is. So that's how they control it. Now, we in America, the yeast that I got from East Coast Yeast over in uh, New York or wherever they are, they've refined it. They've figured out yeah, what, which, it, what which exactly ones. it is, and they've, they've captured that strain and, and made it. So. And I know you mentioned uh, particular yeast and that kind of thing, but when you're putting those into barrels, those wine barrels, do you have to use a certain kind of barrel that contained a certain kind of wine beforehand? No, really it, but but that definitely does make a difference in the beer. You know, some of the uh, barrels that we used uh, were Merlot barrels. Some were Chardonnay barrels, or not? No, it wasn't Chardonnay. It was Cabernet, mm-hmm. Cap Sauv barrels. Uh, there's different barrels impart different flavors. You're absolutely right, and and a lot of breweries that are they've got a big barrel program. Well, they've got a whole bunch of different barrels, and then they take all that beer and then they blend it. They'll like they'll take notes and they're like, okay, we're going to do a blend of sixty percent this one and forty percent that one. Well, we've got eight barrels. We don't have enough. And then, yeah. I don't, and then where am I going to mix them at? What am I? You know, we're just doing them one barrel at a time. They're all one-off barrels. Cool. Everyone has a little bit of different flavor to it. Yeah, so. and it changes from a, a blonde sour to, and a red sour. Yeah, we we do both, and I, I prefer the blonde. I, I think the blonde lends itself better to that stuff. Yeah, it's good. I, yeah. I like them. Yeah. I like when they're on tap. Yep, and they're and, and they are truly sour. They're like eating a sour patch candy or something. Hmm. It's it's weird how it's yeah. the same beer that is coming out of that tap, but we've allowed it to have this weird yeast on there yeah and i really like it you know it's not one that you you drink glass after glass of but it's it's uh, not everyone likes them but i i think they're great yeah no it's (laughs) something that uh definitely is an acquired taste (laughs) sure (laughs) well i think we just have a couple questions left for you this kind of fun little ending bit here uh drew you want to ask the first one yeah, sure. I think we got to let Pete get out of here so he can run a brewery. <laughs> uh, we we do this thing that we call 222, so it's going to be just a couple different questions covering a couple different tof- topics. So uh, we're curious, do you have like a couple different tap handles or beer steins that are in your collection that are particularly cool or some of your favorites? Yeah, where did they come from and, and what are they? One of the one of the one of my favorite steins my mother made. Oh wow! Yeah, she uh, and it's not an antique or anything. It probably is now, uh, but she, she used to do ceramics, and she she made a stein for me, and I, I really like that. Um, and then I've got an old uh, German one that I picked up somewhere that is that uh, I, actually at the Oktoberfest I won the, the oh, beer stein show and shine. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So that, that was yeah. Those, those are cool. I've, I do collect tap panels too, and I've got I've got my favorite ones displayed down at the brewery. Uh, they're old acrylic ones. The, I got a oh, old right. Rainier yeah. one, a couple old Rainier ones, and a, 
I, I don't remember. One of them's Olympia, one's John Bull, and but I like those acrylic. And those are set in by the by the big doors, right? Yeah, there's a big barrel there, like a like you would have for a tap. Sure. Yeah. And cool. then okay, no one's no one likes this question. If you could only drink two types of beer for the rest of your life, what two styles of beer would you have? Would you would you choose? Oh, it's a thinker. A pale ale. I would drink. I would want a pale ale right. for sure. And then I would probably want, <laughs> like a bush light. Yeah, something. That, I just don't think you'd get tired of them. No, and people look at me when I say that, and or they come over to my house and I'll just say, "Hey, you want a beer?" And I'll get a bush light out of the fridge. Like, you want a brewery? You're drinking bush light. <laughs> I get that too sometimes. Just like, yeah. you brew beer. Why are you doing drinking? Yeah. You know, Coors. Yeah, I just I I like. I like having a refresh, you know, and the thing of it is, if I'm out working in the yard and I'm going to drink three pale ales, I'm going to be loopy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I go, I play dart league. In fact, I got to play darts in Moscow tonight. I play on dart league and I go to a darts and, uh, and I order a Bud Light or a Bush Light or whatever light beer they have. And people are like, why do you drink light beers? Because I'm playing darts and I want to be able to concentrate. Yeah. And I want to be able to function. I don't right. <laughs> and so, yeah, a, a lighter beer. Cool. cool. Awesome. And then, uh, you know, we talked about homebrewing for, for dummies or beginners earlier. Um, do you have just a couple pieces of advice that you would give to people that are maybe going to start doing it tomorrow for the first time? Homebrewing? Yep. Yeah. Uh, the biggest piece of advice, and Brian would agree with this, is clean everything. Clean it twice. Clean it. Clean it <laughs> maybe clean not it again. twice. Just to make sure it's very clean. Sanitization is yeah. the most paramount thing. And, and most importantly, any container that it's going into after the boil or anything that's going to touch it after the boil. Yep. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. We, we could, your boil kettle, you can just kind of scrub it out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's got stuff growing in it. You're going to boil it. Yeah. It, you're going to boil it. But like Brian said, anything that's going to touch that beer, like your siphon. I always, when I was homebrewing, I'd take a, a five-gallon bucket and fill it. With sanitizer. Mm-hmm. I use IOTA 4 sanitizer. Put all my hoses in there, my spoons in there, everything that's going to touch the beer. And then the last thing I do before I'd rack it off into my fermenter is I'd fill the fermenter with the sanitizer from that bucket, slosh it around in there really good, and then run it out of there. And the last, I want the, I want the fermenter still wet with sanitizer when I put my beer in there. Oh. It's, if you mix it right, it's going to be indetectable. It's not yep. going to have any off flavors in it. Same thing when I'm bottling. When I'm bottling, I put all my bottles in a when homebrewing bottling. I put all my bottles in a in a tub full of sanitizer, and I drain the sanitizer out, kind of shake the bottle, let it kind of air dry a little bit, flip it over, and I put beer in it. Yep. And then the cap comes out of the sanitizer and goes on there. Anything it touches, it has to be sanitized. Yeah. Okay, cool. Can't stress that enough. That's the number one flaw that i find in homebrew beers that you can that you can you can taste an off flavor and almost yeah. always that off flavor comes from something along the line wasn't sanitized well enough yeah. okay and i know you mentioned you you sell some homebrew supplies um if a guy wanted to come in there or a gal or anybody wanted to come mm-hmm. in there and get um homebrew set up do you have sort of the complete list of stuff that you would need to get to get started, yeah. I, the only thing we don't sell down there are the burners. Okay, mm, you yeah. gotta have a you know you can do it on your stove at home if, if, <laughs> if, if your wife's out of town. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then just look up some forums when you're when you're picking out a burner. Make sure you get a, the right BTUs for yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we've got pretty much everything you need. Uh, and every once in a while, in fact, right now I'm sitting on a mash tun down there that some home brewer upgraded and he wanted to get rid of it and he said you'll have better luck selling it than i do so i've got it sitting in the back uh-huh. it's a converted cooler mash tun so and sounds like someone's in for a treat yeah yeah <laughs> cool yeah. well thanks pete for coming in we'll let you get out of here right. and then uh, maybe we'll have you back in the future we could talk about some of the history of brewing because i know lewiston's got a rich brewing history mm-hmm. so that'd yeah. be something yeah. else to dive into okay. someday yeah it'd be fun cool thank you all right thank you awesome thanks pete thanks drew So that was an exciting interview with Pete Broyles from Riverport Brewery. Um, Man, Brian, I had a great time talking with Pete. Um, 
like I said, it was even fun for somebody that's an outsider from the brewing community. It was just a lot of fun information and uh, cool stories about a local institution. Yeah, I could talk about brewing probably all day. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm really grateful for Pete for giving us his time coming in and talking to us. Uh, I'm really happy about the response that we've gotten just all around with our podcast and the support from the people in this valley, especially people like Pete, uh, who are a local business owner and kind of a cornerstone, at least in one area of the valley. Yeah, it makes me feel like we're on the right track. I like it. I like it. All right. One more time, just for everyone, what's happening this weekend. Tonight, we have Shania Rales at Vista House uh, at 6.30. The Road Rash Comedy Tour starring Alex Avery and Nathan Hart will be at Brava's, I'm sorry, not Brava's, well, technically Brava's, Brock's at 7 o'clock. The Wild and Scenic Film Festival at the Kenworthy Performing Arts Center is tonight. Uh, And then at Parejas, we have BYOV, Bring Your Own Vinyl. It's 80s vinyl this time around. That's at Parejas Cellars at 7 o'clock. And Art Uncorked in downtown Lewiston has an 18 and over abstract mountain. Uh, That's going to be their painting theme for the night, and, and that's at 6 Tomorrow, the 25th, the Jason Perry Trio at Hogan's. I'm probably going to go to that one. I'm, I'm, I'm planning on it. Uh, I'm an, I have a kid now, so I might have to take a nap before I head down there. Uh, but we also have Jazz Night at the Mystic Cafe at 7, and Casey Lee performing at Parejas at 7. All right, everybody. You have a nice weekend, and we will see you back here next week. All right, Drew, do you want to tell everybody where they can find us? Yeah, if you guys want to find us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, both searchable by typing in with your grimy little fingers, Mm. Old Spiral Podcast. You can also email us if you have questions about the show, want to plug events, or uh, send us any kind of cool information about the Valley at oldspiralpodcast at gmail.com. And then if you want to share the word to others about our show, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Podbean, and Podcast Republic. And if you want to contact Drew directly, his phone number is... All right, everybody. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.